Well, before I get started, I want to first thank Lucas for kicking off our Advent series of messages called Crucial Questions last week. I don't think most of you uh, noticed, but we started Advent a, a week earlier than when Advent really is, and I'd like to say that was intentional, but maybe it wasn't. The actual true fourth Sunday of Advent is December 24th when we don't have a Sunday morning service, so starting a week earlier works really well for us. Um, our fourth city for Sunday of Advent is going to be on the 17th, um, which is our Kid City Sunday production, which you'll all want to be out for. Just thought I would make that comment for any of you with strong Catholic or Anglican backgrounds who might have noticed. Anyways. Lucas did one awesome job kicking off the Fort City Advent period, and God spoke powerfully through him. I am so thankful for his being a part of the team. And hey, if you were here last week, let me tell you that I too was once gifted those pickled hot dogs from the back of a black truck from Newfoundland. Apparently, pickled hot dogs are a Newfoundland thing. Maybe one of you can verify that for me or not, whether that's really true, but anyways... Also, I, I did get a bit of an interesting gift myself on that staff YWAM board Christmas party Lucas talked about. It's a coffee mug with Dougisms on it, and, and if you look carefully, there might be one phrase there that you might ex not expect to hear from a pastor. Um, anyways, my apologies to any of you who have kids in the service. This is why you need to send them to Kid City. It is true that I once said to the staff and YWAM team not so long ago, Thanks for not being assholes. I hope that's not too shocking to any of you. I apologize if it is, and there's a story that I cannot tell behind that, and it was a true compliment to all of the team. Anyways, they are awesome and they are not. Okay. And the other isms on that mug, I am guilty as charged, and when you think about it, the effort that went into making that mug, that too is awesome, so thank you guys for that mug. Love it. Now, I am uh, not going to make any attempt to connect my gift of a coffee mug to a deep spiritual message in today's message. That unique talent I will leave to Lucas. In fact, a number of people commented on Lucas's pickled hot dog story on social media. I particularly appreciated Dave Sterling's comment and Steph Manili's response. It's true that there are very few in the world over who could lead from talking about pickled hot dogs to God's ability to keep promises. But Lucas did just that. It's a, it's a spiritual gift that he has. So without making any connections about the spirituality of my coffee mug and how my coffee mug illustrates the faithfulness of God, let me move into the second message in our Fort City Advent series called Crucial Questions. Today we want to look at the wise man and ask the crucial question, what gift will I give my king? During the Christmas season, the words that you'll hear more often, well, maybe a word that you'll hear more often than any other word is the word gift. Yeah, gift. Starting on Black Friday, we begin a month-long dash to finding the right gift to give generously to other people around us. In fact, the month of December is the only month of the year where everybody forgets about the past and everybody forgets about the future and everyone just focuses on the present. Now, the idea of, you didn't even get that, but anyways. Now, the idea of gift-giving at Christmas is rooted in the story of the wise men or the magi who came sometime after the, the birth of Jesus, bearing gifts to honor the newborn king. The story is found in the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. 
The Apostle Matthew emphasizes the kingship or the lordship of Jesus in his book. He's writing primarily to a Jewish audience, and, and he wants them to understand that this baby is the promised king, the king of the Jews. Follow along as I read from Matthew chapter 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Uh, about that time, some wise men from Eastern lands arrived in, arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw its stars, its rose, and, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. This news created disturb. So he, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who is the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men uh, went their way. And the star they had seen uh, in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother. Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. We're not going to focus so much on this well-loved Christmas story as a whole, but more on the idea of giving, on the idea of generosity, on, on the idea of extravagant generosity. And the idea is that these gifts given... Uh, were given to a king. Uh, they were costly gifts. They were extravagant gifts. Hey, uh, a quick side note before I move on. The Bible doesn't exactly say that there were three kings. It, it just says that the kings brought three gifts. So, so maybe there were three kings, maybe not. But when our kids do their Christmas production in two weeks, there will be three kings. And like, take a look at this pic. Doesn't that king look awesome? That's in two weeks, and both services don't want to miss our Kid City Sunday. Okay, the wise men gave gold. Gold is a precious metal often associated with wealth and royalty. The gift of gold, the, the most precious of metals to Jesus, symbolizes his kingship. They also gave frankincense. Frankincense is an aromatic resin obtained from trees and is used in expensive incense and costly perfumes. The gift of frankincense is thought to symbolize the priestly role of Jesus. And they also gave myrrh. Myrrh is also a resin with a rich fragrance commonly used in ancient times for perfumes, incense, sometimes for medicinal purposes. The gift of myrrh is often associated with the suffering and death of Jesus as it was used in the uh, burial process. I, I recently read an article that, accord, that uh, says that Tara Mulder, uh, an assistant professor of classics at the University of British Columbia, she says that gold, frankincense, and myrrh were extremely valuable in the first century. I mean, you can actually buy frankincense and myrrh today in essential oil shops, and it's not quite as like gold, but back then, they were among the most valuable substances for people in the Roman Empire. 
They were considered incredibly valuable to both ordinary people and royalty. She said that back then, frankincense and myrrh was as valuable and gold. They were so prized that the Roman Empire actually went into debt trying to import as much frankincense and myrrh as possible. Now, these are both symbolic gifts and extravagant, costly gifts. Symbolically, they pointed to the fact that the baby Jesus is, uh, is our king. Um, these foreign magi, these foreign kings recognized Jesus as the king of kings. And so they brought these costly, extravagant gifts that everybody back in the day would recognize as the ultimate in gift giving. This would be on your list, friends. Now, I'm not, I know gold is still on your list, but frankincense and myrrh would be there too. Now, I'm not sure how this happened, but over uh, time, the idea of the wise men giving gifts to uh, King Jesus became you and me giving gifts to one another. Whenever you trace the custom of gift giving at Christmas, it seems to start with the idea of the wise men bringing gifts to Jesus at that first Christmas. But what it really should be all about is us giving gifts to Jesus, right? Because he is the king of kings and he is your king and he is my king if we call ourselves followers of Jesus. And if we follow the story logically, then our crucial question today ought to be, what will I give my king? And if we're following the example of the wise men, our gifts will be costly and extravagant. Our gifts will be a form of worship to the king of kings. So again, the question, what will I give my king? How will I worship Jesus through giving? Have you thought at all about that? And by the way, the wise men did something that King David did. Uh, King David was looking for some land to use to sacrifice uh, an offering and worship God. And this landowner by the name of uh, Arona, um, he uh, wanted to give David some land to do this and uh, wanted to give him land to the king. And we read in the book of First Chronicles, but King David replied to Arona, no, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that cost me nothing. Same deal with the wise men. They were not going to go cheap with their gift giving. They saw a sign, a star that told them that the king of kings was born. That they set out to worship him, taking him the most precious gifts known in their culture. And it probably took them a couple of months to get to Jesus. Like that's a huge commitment to extravagantly worship the king of kings with time and money. So maybe Christmas should not be so much about us giving gifts to one another as it should be about us being generous in the name of Jesus, of us wanting to worship Jesus by giving extravagantly to him time and money. I know, you like the idea of giving gifts to one another and that's okay. Perhaps more than the idea that we should see Christmas as a time to give extravagantly to Jesus. But interesting how the tradition changed from worshiping Jesus through giving to giving gifts to one another. That's kind of how human nature goes. And when it comes to this gift-giving thing, sometimes we miss the main point of the Christmas story. When you think about it, the first Christmas gifts were not gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The first gift was the gift that God gave. God so loved the world that he gave. And the very first Christmas gift was God himself, Jesus giving himself to you so that eventually by dying on the cross for your sins, you could have your past forgiven, then be given a purpose for living and home for eternity. Jesus is the original Christmas gift. We, we only give because God first gave to us. 
And that's what's pictured in the communion elements you see set up up front here. We're, we're gonna celebrate communion together in a few minutes. We're gonna celebrate the fact that Jesus is the original Christmas gift. The Apostle Paul writes, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Yeah, I think so. Friends, Christmas is about generosity. The spirit of Christmas is the spirit of generosity. The Apostle Luke says it like this, we are saved because the master Jesus, amazingly and out of sheer generosity, moved to save us. And there's that word, generosity. If it weren't for God's generosity, you and I would have nothing. The air you breathe is a gift of God's generosity. The blood coursing through your veins is a gift of God's generosity. The fact that your heart is beating is a gift of God's generosity. Every good thing in your life that you have, including your life, is a gift of God's generosity. If God were not a generous God, we wouldn't even exist. The universe would not exist. It exists because of his generosity. The Apostle John says this, we all live off of God's generous bounty, gift after gift after gift. Every good thing in your life is evidence of God's generosity. Here's the key. God wants you to learn to be generous too. God is generous and he wants his children to be generous. Generosity is part of what it means to live and love like Jesus. If you're a parent, do you want your kids to learn to share? Of course you do. Do you want your kids to learn to be generous? Do you, want to learn, do you want them to learn to be unselfish? Yes, absolutely. So God says, I want generosity to be a lifestyle, not, not just a seasonal event. I want it to be a habit of your life. And Christmas is a good time to develop the habit of generosity. Just don't leave it there. But here's the problem. It's not easy being generous today because we live in a very consumeristic, materialistic, self-centered world. With any extra money we ever get, we use it to upgrade our lifestyle. We don't have margin in our lives. And, and then when things like inflation, higher interest rates, higher mortgage and rents hit, we're sunk. Some of you here right now, yeah, you're sinking or you're sunk. And, and when the crucial question gets asked, what will I give my king? Well, yeah. We're really, we're really not sure how to answer that. I mean, things are so tight financially. Hey, even with my time, I, I don't have time to give time. I don't have time to volunteer. I'm not even sure that I have enough time to do some random act of kindness as a, a way to honor Jesus by tangibly showing love to someone else. And we end up hoping that Jesus will take something that costs us nothing. Like, okay. I do have enough time to get to church. I love singing worship songs. Hopefully that's enough for Jesus. Well, yeah, that's better than nothing, but is it extravagantly costly? Friends, you can't escape the fact that our God wants us to be a generous people. Not just generous for our church, although he wants us to be generous to our church as a way of worshiping him, but friends, he wants us to be generous in every way. Generous in how we love the people we live and work with. Generous in the respect and honor we give to our bosses and supervisors. Generous with the neighbors on our street or in your apartment or in your condo block or with the poor. The Bible talks a lot about being generous to the poor, to those who, who have less. The YWAM Christmas tree is a way to do that. I hope you're getting a gift uh, from that YWAM tree. It's at the back. Check it out and see if there's some labels left there, some tags there. Earlier this year, 
during Lent, the, the weeks leading up to Easter, we, we had a generosity campaign called Thrive, and, and you guys rose and gave sacrificially, particularly during the months of March, April, and May. Incredible giving during those three months. But summer came, inflation increased, mortgage rates went up, major companies like Suncor started to cut staff, and some of you moved from generosity to fear. Still, God wants us to learn to be generous in one way or another. Really, he wants us to be generous in every way. But why is, like, why is generosity so important? Did you know that like, out of all of the things in the Bible, God emphasizes this quality more than almost any other quality in life? There are more verses on this in the Bible than you could possibly imagine. I, I mean, if I don't talk about it, I am not teaching the whole Bible. And so my prayer for you and me is that maybe a goal that we would make for our lives starting this month and something we would grow into in this next year is that people would just look at you and say, this guy is a generous man. That woman is a generous woman. He's got a generous heart. She's not stingy. She's generous. We should all be known as generous people. Ask yourself, am I known as a generous person? Friends, that's living and loving like Jesus. There are only two kinds of people in life. There are givers and there are takers. You have to decide in life uh, who you're going to be. Am I going to be a giver or am I going to be a taker? You, you can be a taker and, and live a self-centered life. Hey, it's not by accident that the word miser and miserable come from the same root. The more you are a taker, the more miserable you're going to be in life. Jesus said it like this, it's only those who learn to give their lives away who will ever really know what it means to fully live. What is the spirit of Christmas? Is it not the spirit of giving? Is it not the spirit of generosity? Why does God want us to develop this spirit of Christmas, not just in December, but hey, all year round? Let me suggest two reasons that the writers of the Bible give us for wanting to be generous. I've grabbed these thoughts from a, a longer list given by Rick Warren, who used to pastor Saddleback Church. Two reasons we need to develop the habit or the spiritual discipline of generosity. Number one, simply, it makes me more like Jesus. At Fort City, our, our mission is making Jesus visible as we live and love like him. And friends, that starts with being a generous people who are generous like Jesus has been generous to us. Generosity just makes me more like Jesus. It makes me more like God. King David wrote, the godly are generous givers. You cannot be godly without learning generosity. You, you just can't do it because God is a generous God. God is a giver. If we want to become like him, we must be generous. God so loved that he gave. One of the things that's so interesting to me, and this may surprise you, there is more in the Bible about generosity than there is about heaven. There's more in the Bible about generosity than there is about hell. Jesus spoke far more about generosity than he did about either heaven or hell. Think about this. How many times can you find certain words in the Bible that we use all the time? Words like love and trust, pray, worship, believe. Let me give you a, a bit of a comparison here. The word believe, we, we know it's important to believe. The word believed is only used 272 times in the Bible, just 272 times. The word pray, we, we, we know that it's important to pray. It's used 371 times in the Bible, about 100 times more than believe. 
The word love is used 714 times in the Bible. But the word give, the word give is used 2,162 times. Why? Because God wants us to learn to be generous. He wants us to learn to be like him, to be generous givers. King David, towards the end of his life, prayed this. Everything we have comes from you, Lord, and we can only give you what is yours already. In other words, every time we're generous, we become more like God. But it really came from him in the first place. The Apostle Paul wrote, you will be glorifying God through your generous gifts. For your generosity to them, he's talking in this case about giving to the poor, will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Jesus Christ. Generosity proves that you're really a Christian. Generosity proves that you really know God. Generosity proves that you're in the family of God. So number one, God says, I want you to learn to be generous because it makes you more like me. It, it makes you godly. Hey, it is a key way that we can fulfill the mission God has given to Fort City. Let me say it again. The mission of Fort City is making Jesus visible as we live and love like him. How do we live and love like him? By being generous people in every way. And by the way, not only does generosity make you more like Jesus, get this, it also makes you healthier. Carl Menninger, who is the founder of the famous Menninger Psychiatric Clinic, said this, after all our studies, we discovered that generosity is one of the essential components of mental health. We found that generous people are rarely mentally ill. Generous people are rarely mentally ill. That is a profound finding. We are more like Jesus when we're generous, and we become more like Jesus um, by being generous. It strengthens our mental health. <clears throat> Excuse me, there's so many other benefits I could talk about when it comes to being generous how it kind of loosens the strangling grip of selfishness so many of us live with, how it stretches our faith and causes our faith to grow, how it's an investment in eternity, and on and on. Now, this idea of being generous, strengthening our mental health, reminds me of another truth taught all throughout the Bible, and that is generosity blesses me back, even helps strengthen my mental health, right? Anyways, the writers of the Bible tell us over and over again that God blesses those who are generous. There are literally hundreds of promises. Let me quickly show you four of the hundreds in the Bible. Moses wrote to the people of Israel, something that is still true for God's people today. Giving generously to God, others, and again, he's talking about helping the poor in this particular verse, and do so without a grudging heart, then because of this, and he's saying because you've been generous, because you've helped people who are less fortunate than, um, than, than you are, um, you've helped people, uh, because you've shared with other people, then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything you put your hand to do. God says, I will bless all your work and everything you put your hand to. Do you want God to bless all your work in 2024? Sure you do. Do you want God to bless everything you put your hand to? Of course. Then you need to learn what I'm teaching about right now. You need to learn not to be a taker. You need to learn to not be a Grinch, a Scrooge, but to be generous with your time, generous with your compliments, with your money, with your energy. Be generous in every area of your life. The psalmist wrote, good will come to those who are generous. King Solomon gives us these words of wisdom. Get this. It is possible to give freely and become more wealthy, but those who are stingy will lose everything. 
Do you believe that? That's kind of a challenging verse, right? Can you give freely and actually become wealthier? I mean, what does that mean? Is that crazy or what? Well, in that same chapter, the next verse, Solomon writes, a generous person will prosper and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. It's just the idea of give and it'll be given to you. Um, God blesses us when we bless others. Do you really believe these promises or, or is God just lying? Last week, Lucas asked us our first crucial question of Christmas. Do I believe God keeps his promises? There are more promises in the Bible about generosity than any other thing. Far more promises. Why? Because this is how I make Jesus visible as I live and love more and more like him. And as I do, my life is blessed. My life is blessed as I become a blessing to others as I live on mission with Jesus. We're going to pray in a moment and then we're going to come forward for communion. And communion is just a sign of God's visible generosity to us. Uh, did you know that in the Bible, not one time are we commanded to remember the birth of Jesus. None of the writers of the Bible ask us to remember the birth of Jesus. But they do say over and over that we're to remember the death of Jesus. Remember, that's what we do on the Lord's Supper. Um, we remember the generosity of Jesus, the Lord of us all. He was rich beyond our telling, yet became poor for your sake so that his poverty might make you rich. Christmas without the cross is nothing. If Jesus just stayed a baby, we should just clean up a shop and go home and forget it. The only reason Christmas matters is because Jesus didn't stay in the manger as a little baby. He grew up, lived a sinless life, and then died for you so that you could go to heaven, so that you don't have to pay for your sins. He paid for them all. This is the generosity of Jesus. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to come forward for communion. As you come forward, you're telling everyone else here, I am a follower of Jesus. I have experienced the generous gift of Jesus in my life. If that's true of you, I invite you to come forward. And as you come forward, you will be served the bread that is a symbol of the body of Jesus nailed to the cross to pay for your sin as well as juice that is a symbol of the blood of Jesus that was poured out to wash you clean of your sin and to give you the power, the power to overcome the destructive work of sin in your life. And then as you take the elements that have been served to you back to your seat, um, would you take that time to make a commitment to Jesus, a new commitment, a renewed commitment, that you will be a generous person, not just this month, not just this coming year, but for the rest of your life, you will be generous in every way generous to your church, generous to the people you live and work with, generous with those who have less than you, generous with your money, generous with your time, generous with your compliments, generous with your energy. And then having made that commitment, will you eat the bread as an act of worship, thanksgiving and commitment, and then drink the juice in remembrance of the generosity of Jesus? As you come forward, our, our prayer team will be up in the corner here to pray with you during communion or after the service. Please, if there's anything on your heart that you'd like prayer for, now is the time. Ask for prayer. Okay, let me lead you in a prayer where we together make a commitment and worship our God who so loved us that he sent Jesus. Would you bow for a moment of prayer? Father God, thank you for your indescribable gift of radical generosity your son Jesus who came to die so that we might live well and then forever with you. As we come forward to receive and then partake of the communion elements, we do so with hearts welling up with thanksgiving. 
and with thankful hearts, we make a commitment to live and love like Jesus by being radically generous. Would you say that to Jesus? Would you make that commitment that we will be generous in how we treat others? We will be generous in how we use time. Generous, oh God, we will be generous in our use of money, generous with our talents and our abilities, generous in our support of our church. We are generous because you were first generous to us. We'll worship you through this time of Christmas communion by giving our lives to you for Jesus' sake and glory. Amen.